Electric fleets are the future. Are you ready? Discover why ChargePoint is the right partner to take your operation electric. To reduce fueling costs, eliminate emissions, and help you turn e-mobility into a competitive advantage, visit chargepoint.solutions slash FreightWaves. All right, welcome to this Enterprise Fleet Summit Fireside Chat. I'm uh, Thomas Watson, Enterprise Trucking Carrier Expert here at FreightWaves, and joining us today is Bill Wettstein. President and CFO of Newsbomb Transportation Services. Bill, welcome on. Hey, thank you, Thomas. Appreciate it. Su- super excited to have. There's a lot of stuff going on, uh, especially in trucking, given recent trends in consumer demand. We're seeing a lot of trucking inflation. Uh, could you describe a little bit how you know you've been in the industry for over at least 20 plus years? How how does inflation impact trucking companies? Okay, yeah, great question. I don't have probably all my research together, but uh, I would say if you, I look at the, the inflation and our cost in the last two years, it's probably exceeds the previous 15. That's just a guess. Um, for example, in the last year, our, uh, our wages, um, all wages are up 25% as a uh, percent of our, our revenue. Driver wages are well over 20%. Um, and so, of course, fuel is up too. But uh, the labor cost has been huge in the last two years. And just our cost and our revenue per mile is a thing we track. How much that's increased, both of those have increased in the last two years, um, is unprecedented. Probably more in the last two years, yeah, again, than the previous 15. Do you think, uh, especially given how high these costs have gone up for wages across the board, do you think that it's kind of a byproduct of great resignation or just where we've had so much demand that now, you know, it's almost like drivers are getting more pricing leverage. That's a great question. And I have a little bit of a theory. I think that great resignation is is, is a big deal. Um, the other thing, you know, there's there's other factors that are, are would pour into it. But one thing I feel like is, you know, the average age of a, of a truck driver, OTR drivers, I don't even know for sure, in the 50s. And they're so 50-year-old plus. And so what's happened is from people a little bit older than me to those in their late 20s. I think America sent everybody to college, right? You needed to go to college. And so, um, so many went to college. The blue, our blue collar workforce aged. And all of a sudden we get to this point where um, tradesmen, professionals, um, pro- professional tradespeople and uh, truck drivers were short. And uh, so I have, that's my little bit of my theory. You don't hear that in, in mainstream, but um that's a little bit of a, my theory. And so we have to catch up now as, a, as an industry on this pay to compete with the tradesmen and, and, and professionals and white collar jobs. And so I think that's driving a lot of this that we got behind. I think that's a great point, especially the challenges of getting jobs and everyone going to college. Um, trying to recruit drivers. When I, back in the day when I looked at the data, it said that one of the biggest competitors for truck drivers was construction jobs. Almost like, do I want to go out on the road or do I want to work on a job site? And so are there any ways that, you know, especially as a trucking company, how, how do you guys go about trying to attract younger folks? Is there a magic bullet to it or is it just a lot of hard work and picking up the phone? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So what we've done here is, um, you know, for years, my first 15 years or so here, we never hired anybody without experience. Well, that's kind of a, uh, that's a short-term strategy, right? So they had to have a year or two years of experience. Well, now, maybe six, seven years ago, 
you know, we're a smaller company, but we started bringing in those with their CDL, but no experience. And now in the last year, we're partnered with a community college and we, we have a, a school. And um, so we're training people um, to get their CDLs and hopefully we get a, we get an opportunity to recruit them. But uh, we try to have um, good technology, um, try to have a company with, you know, strong values. Um, we're Christian based and we try to really uh, treat people. Well, every company says they do that. Right. And then um, some other things we do on that is to um, really just work, work with our drivers to recruit as well. That they're our best recruiters, right? If we can get them to refer others to us. But uh, back to that previous point, Thomas, we have to have a, uh, if we're, we're recruiting for a very difficult lifestyle over the road. And so we have to have a, a delta between our wage, our wage and others. I mean, the wages aren't everything, but our quality of life or the home time is a big deal, right? So if people are wanting to go to be a construction worker or, or be a, uh, a final mile delivery person that's home every night, we need to be able to, uh, to offset that, have a delta to make it worth the time away. There are a few that love to be away and you know don't have a home that they really are drawn to. But for most people, that, that's our biggest... Uh, that's what we hear the most is people are leaving New Spam not to go to another over-the-road driver, an over-the-road truck driving job, but they're leaving New Spam to go to a, a job that gets them home more. It reminds me of when I was a fleet manager, I started at US Express and they made us watch some videos. And the best one was you get them loaded, you get them paid and you get them home. And it was this guy, uh, I can't remember his name at the time, but it's almost like the the three biggest things. And over-the-road truck driving, long haul, few weeks out on the end. Has there been anything in the recent years, either technology or changing business practices? Is there any way that has kind of helped try to challenge this issue where, you know, folks really just want to go home and, you know, the nomadic lifestyle can be pretty difficult? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Now back to your uh, get them paid, get them rolling, get them home. Um, Danny Baker, um, great, great guy. But Danny Baker is the one that said that. Um so I think the, the what we call the Amazon effect, right? You can get anybody in the country can order anything and have it there in two days or less. So that is that has helped to regionalize. Everybody's putting DCs within 500 miles of all of their customers, basically. And that has helped. Um, so we try to get our most of our drivers get home, get them home weekly. Try to have a uh, at least a 34-hour restart, but but even that's tough. So we, we have lots of discussions around this, and it feels like America is a big enough place. It's going to be years before the OTR driver is a thing of the past. Um, we're just a, we're spread out across thousands of miles. And so we feel like, you know, there is going to be a need for OTR drivers for a long time. The industry is fragmented. The, the Obviously, there's a lot of trucking companies and also the shippers. Um, there's so many shippers. No, no one shipper has more than just a spec of the of the uh, of the capacity of the shipments right so to get small um, relatively small shippers compared to the whole volume and small trucking companies to um, get this so that everything's efficient and so we have these massive lanes going the same direction to get people home I mean some of the larger carriers can do a little bit but in general most OTR drivers it's just the it's just the nature of the country we live in and the uh, the fragmentation of the industries. From your experience, My, and like especially talking about shippers, it's highly fragmented. You get all shapes and sizes. 
Um, you know, given right. the size of it, being an enterprise carrier, are there any advantages towards a large shipper or a small shipper, or is there a better strategy in mixing matching? Okay, you mean from our perspective, would we want to work with large or small? Yeah, is there, because I know like, uh, I used to, when I did network and lane analysis, we have large like Procter & Gamble Home Depots, you have your smaller uh, suppliers near the Fortune like 200 or 100 list. You know, is there any kind of, if you're looking to the right freight for the right driver for the right network, is there any advantage towards having a huge shipper with crazy lanes or can some of these smaller guys, uh, you know, is there like an overall strategy in trying to pick it? Yeah, that's a great point. So we, uh, I think, you know, to, you know, we pick key lanes that work for our network, for where we are, for where our driver base is. And on, on those key lanes, we like to have one or two or three big shippers that can really put some density in that lane to really, to help us build that lane out. And if we get a few, um, I would say, you know, building blocks or foundations to build on, then we can use some smaller shippers to help um, to help complement that. But so I feel like you need both. Um, the big shippers, there's really some advantages to get some consistency to your, to your network. And then the smaller shippers, maybe you can get some flexibility or, um, maybe there's some opportunity for some, um, special service that you have higher margins, potentially those kind of things. Cause the large shippers, um, yeah, there can be, there can potentially be some margin pressure on those. Right. They got the size, so they're going to try to use that size to push down prices. And that kind of leads into like market demand. Um, we're seeing with freight waves data, looking at you know tendered contracted lanes, that we're seeing a cooling in the market. Um, anecdotally, from your neck of the woods, has there been any changes recently? Almost like is the is the weather is it getting cloudy out there? Uh, any big things you've noticed lately in the past few weeks? Yeah, so so we're um, we're around eighty percent contract and then we we do 20 percent on the on the uh, what we would call the spot market right um for our backhaul lanes that are you know because we still have like you like we said we have these large shippers that are have key building blocks key lanes then we have some even large shippers but they ship they uh their lanes are not steady could we could go you know here today and there tomorrow and so we we need some uh back off right off the spot market to help us with that and so yes we have seen in the last five weeks We've seen that um, that the availability of, of spot loads fall some, and the uh, the spot rates have fallen. Now the contract um, the contract rates I would say um, that's a little different. That's slower, right? So those are still those that pricing is still very steady. We're locked in for a year, and even those that we're negotiating now, there's still a lot of um, there's still some um, concern. From the shippers and so those that pricing is still moving out but it lags significantly you know the spot market as you know but we have seen some uh cooling of the spot market and i'm kind of curious as well looking at technology and market demand how you know when you are looking for that spot freight uh have you noticed in your experience of any of these digital brokerages or a lot of this new technology is that having a big impact in helping you find back calls or is that still something where Maybe it just benefits smaller market carriers who are just, you know, sniping same day. Yeah, I don't know that our that in the last five or six years it's changed a lot. You know, we have a few key websites we go to with the uh, with some of the larger brokerages is who we would work with primarily. So I don't know if that answers your question, but um, I think everybody's getting more data, right? We use FreightWaves data, and, and everybody's got access to more and more data. 
like the data just basically allows you to make that kind of better decision. Like back when I started in 14, we didn't have many of that data. It was all either in-house, you had an internal load balance, and then you kind of just heard about, oh, we're going through this cycle. So do you feel like now with the data, at least we have something to look at and say, oh, this makes more sense instead of this tribal knowledge that gets pushed down? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think both data, external and internal, like freight waves, and then internally, we know, hey, last time, the last 10 times a truck landed here, these are the loads we took. And um, and then we're trying, you know, the fuel price thing has been interesting on the spot market because fuel is up, whatever, um, maybe a buck in the last six weeks or something. And so trying to adjust for that as our fuel costs have gone up and the spot market has cooled, you know, we're trying to educate our people. Hey, look, <laughs> yes, we know that there's, you know, the, there's some cooling in the spot market, but fuel prices are going up. So we need to consider that too. And so trying to, uh, trying to be, keep everybody educated on, on that cost pressure. I think that's a great point. A lot of brokerages, uh, back when I was did a stint as a broker, you kind of didn't think about fuel. You just assumed the carrier priced correctly. But it's a big deal trying to figure out what your pricing is for fuel and how to like make these decisions on your costs. Um, with fuel going up over like a dollar, dollar thirty a gallon or something, around around five ten ish a gallon on diesel. Uh, what are some ways that you all can take as a carrier to try and like adjust to that rising cost that's constraining margins? Obviously, educate our people when when they're negotiating, but then also. Um we're trying to communicate to our drivers as the weather moderates, you know, on, on uh, idle time, trying to cool that, bring the idle time down and, um, and really using our fuel optimizer, trying to continue to get them to, to um, fuel at the cheapest, cheapest cost. It's really interesting how truck stops across the road can have significantly different costs to us. So really continuing to communicate that is, is our thing. We have not, we don't have, um, terminal fuel and we don't we don't hedge so it's trying to get very high fuel economy uh, low idle time and uh, purchase at the best at the best spot has been our or the lowest price fuel stop has been our strategy regarding idle times i always remember idle restrictions uh there's something that you know i'd get calls from drivers complaining oh my car that's shutting off i think volvos were especially uh heinous dealing with that compared to cascadia's but um, you know, is there anything like APUs or auxiliary units that you can put on it? Is that something that may as driver quality of life or uh, ha, are there anything else in the pipeline that you can do to help? Because like you said, once it starts getting hot, it gets a little toasty in there. So we we have APUs. So we have um, battery powered for air conditioning and then we have solar panels to help charge that. And then and for cooler weather, we have the diesel fired bunk heaters. And so we have all that on there. I think we run and we're pretty good shape, but those um, drivers with sleep apnea, um, some of that, they have a little higher draw. And so on their battery power, and so they may have to idle more, but if everything's working properly on the truck, all of those add-ons, our idle time should be very low. Uh, some, of our, um, some of our drivers, their idle time is less than 1%. Wow, that's a huge deal. Uh, that's kind of leads to the final question. Given the scarcity of equipment, have you all seen a situation where maybe it's improving or is it still extremely hard just to order a class eight truck or a, a trailer? Okay. So we had 19 trucks built in late February. Um, I believe 13 of them are waiting for parts. So they were built, but they're not coming our way because uh, it's been six, seven weeks and we're still waiting for 
chips or, or whatever. So that has really pushed us back in trailers. We have a lot of trailers coming this year. All I would say 70% of them are going to come in the third and fourth quarter, and some of them will be pushed into 2023. So that has been um, that has been a constraint on the upside for us, trying to get new equipment in. We're keeping equipment longer than we than we usually do, and so we're having more breakdowns. And yeah, that whole that whole equipment thing has been a uh, it's the first time in 24 years that our growth has been constrained by equipment. So then you just like literally love to put more trucks on the road, but you just can't because the older ones you have, you're trying to fix or you're placing the orders and they're not even going to come for a whole year. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. You placed your orders nine months ago or whatever for these. Yep. And so, but we'll see. And um, obviously looking at the freight waves data that the truck count on the road is going up. People, everybody's keeping the trucks longer and nobody's getting rid of them. Right. And so, uh, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the next, six months goes as the, as the weather warms. I, I would say, as you look at the data, right, the last two or three years, I would say seasonal adjustments have been, our seasonal peaks and valleys have been, they have vanished. We've got away from that and it's more market pressures have changed. Volumes is what I see. Is that what you see too, Thomas? So we're, we're seeing definitely, uh, since the past two years, it's just a situation where you don't see that seasonality. We don't see that cyclicalness. We see now starting the, uh, the beginnings of what could be the cyclical cycle. But like you said, there is this crazy pinup demand with COVID and it's kind of thrown everything for a loop. I've never seen it with the data before. I'm, I'm used to kind of like you said, we have our, uh, you know, our first quarter lull, spring surge, you know, back to school kind of winter, fourth quarter surge. And a lot of that's just been surge. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's wild. It's a wild situation. Are there any advice you'd give for carriers just starting uh, or anyone else on how to kind of navigate the next six months? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, watch the market closely. Um, we're, we're watching the market closely and keep your cost in line. I mean, don't, we've done it too many times. You get, um, get fat and happy, get your costs out of line. And then um, the market, the market softens and, uh, and you pay the piper. So, uh, I learned, Thomas, in April and May of 2020, I always knew that cash was king, but I learned that cash was king <laughs> when things got really tough. And so, yeah, just in, in, in good times, you need to have some hay in the barn and be ready because this, this trucking market is very cyclical. We have, we have ups and downs and uh, be ready and be nimble. Um, so things that we've done when, when the market's super strong, right? We watch our commitments. And if, uh, if we agreed to 10 loads in a week for a lane, um, we try to hold it at that. And, um, and then if there's additional loads above that, you know, we'll reject those or, or work with the shipper on those and, and try to, so we can make sure we that, because some shippers get their tenders to us three days before the load and some, you know, 24 hours. And so if you've given it all, away, then you, you miss other commitments. So uh, managing your commitments closely um, is, is a big thing. And then um, as the market softens, right, we will, we will pull back as much as we can from that, from that spot market. And we'll take our dependence on the spot market from 20%, maybe to 14 or 12 by just um, taking more of that, uh, what we would call non-commit contract freight. That's perfect. That's some really great advice as well. Bill, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, that's Bill Wettstein, President and CFO of Newsbomb Transportation Services. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much.